Well, good morning, pray, and thank you, praise team, for leading us in worship. Uh, it was uh, a delight to not only sing along with you, but worship with you during, uh, during that time. And, uh, and thank you for this Chamber of Commerce weather that you uh, <laughs> invited us into. Uh, every t- What's that? Uh, yeah, we no, we're taking it with us to Denver, right. So it is good to be back with you. I, I've been here a couple of times before. Uh, have preached a couple of times, and uh, and I'm thankful to join my hearts with you uh, during uh, this time of worship. So, if you'll um, engage in worship uh, in prayer with me right now before I proclaim God's word, uh, let's join our hearts together. Lord Jesus, thank you for for your eternal word that has impact, no matter what our life situation or circumstances are. Thank you, Lord, that this word endures from eternity to eternity and that, Lord, it is transforming and it is a delight and it tastes so good in our hearts. Father, I pray that there's nothing that I say or do this morning that will distract from you, that will stain your reputation. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. I give you praise and thanksgiving in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning we're going to consider the topic of ascribing glory to to God, and perhaps in a way that might not immediately come to mind. When people are asked, well, how, how do you ascribe glory to God? The common responses include things like worship, prayer, ministering to, to others, praise, obedience. Uh, expressing our, the, the fruit of the Spirit, using our spiritual gifts for the blessing and benefit of God and, and, uh, and others. But I would submit to you that one of the ways that we ascribe glory to God is with our, the use of our words. So I want you to watch this video clip to introduce us to this message.
Words carry immeasurable. Oh, okay. Words carry immeasurable significance. The universe was created with a word. Jesus healed and cast out demons with a word. Rulers have risen and fallen by their words. Christians worship through song, uh, confession that we just engaged in, and, and preaching that we are in the midst of right now. And even in our technological age, politics, education, business, and relationships are, are all fueled by words. Nelson Mandela was in prison for almost 37 years, and he knew the power of words. A decade after his release, he said this, and I quote, It is never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison have done anything to us, it was to use the silence of solitude to make us understand how precious words are and how real speech is in its impact on the way people live and die. So words do more than convey information. The power of our words can encourage someone or they can inflict hurt and pain on someone's soul. Of all the, the creatures that, that God created, only humans have the ability to communicate through the spoken word. The power of words is a unique and potent gift of God. The story is told of a woman who went to see her, her doctor, and when she got there, she was to see a new doctor that she had never seen before. She went into his office, and after about four minutes, she came out screaming. Well, the older doctor, her, her former doctor, came and asked her what was going on, and she shared the story, and he said, listen, go into this other room, sit down, relax for a little bit, and I'll straighten this out. So he went to this new doctor, and he walked into the room, and he said, what's the matter with you? Mrs. Terry is 68 years old. She has four children and seven grandchildren, and you told her she was pregnant. The doctor kept writing on his clipboard without looking up, and he said, does she still have the hiccups? Yeah. <laughs> There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, reads this way. The tongue has the power of life and death. Are we using words to build up people or destroy them? Do our words communicate hate or love, bitterness or blessing, complaining or compliments? Do they discourage or do our words inspire others? Our words are a way, a means, that we can ascribe glory to God. Gary Chapman, in his book, Love as a Way of Life, uses this vivid metaphor for words as being either bullets or seeds. If we use our words as bullets, they, 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 convince, they convey a sense of condemnation and superiority. And we're not going to be able to maintain healthy relationships that way. But if we use our words as seeds that convey a sense of support and genuine concern, we can build relationships that are positive and life-affirming. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, but only what is helpful for building others up 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And that's what ascribes glory to God when we encourage and build others up by blessing them with our words and the tone of our voice. Okay? So, you see, there are three things I know about each one of you in this room and those of you who are online. I know, one of the first thing is, I know you talk. Some of you more than others, but each one of you does talk. Every relationship, every encounter is filled with words. And what that means is that one of the ways we're most like God is that we talk. We communicate. Words are a gift from God. As Proverbs already told us, words give life. Words can bring death, but we get to choose. And that means that every word that we speak is not neutral. There are no neutral words that come out of our mouth. Our words have purpose to them. If our words move in the life direction, there'll be words of hope, encouragement, love, peace, unity, wisdom, and instruction. But if they move in the death direction, there'll be words of anger, jealousy, envy, gossip, division, contempt, racism, judgment, condemnation. And don't forget those two movements. Because when you reflect on the word talk, you should be thinking about something that is high and holy and eternally significant. Please don't assume that, uh, that your talk is something that does not matter. The second thing I know about you is that the saddest and happiest moments of your life have been escorted by words. When a counselee shares with me the hurt of words said to them years ago, even decades ago, their retelling them in the moment makes it sound as though the incident just happened yesterday. We all know people who have spoken words of life into our soul that have, have shaped and molded us and contributed to whatever success we've had. I, I, my, my grandchild you know, is now you know, 15 months old and, and, and when Audrey is her name, when Audrey started speaking her first unintelligible words, her mom and dad were crazy with, with anticipation and excitement because of what was coming out of her mouth. And yet, what is even sadder is when a human goes silent. My wife has said to me more times than I can count how much, how much she misses speaking with her mom. And all of you who have lost loved ones, you know that all too well. You want to hear, I love you one more time. To, to finish that conversation that was left unfinished. Talk is an extremely 
important part of our humanness. And our saddest and our happiest moments in life are escorted by words. And the third thing I know about you is that your words have gotten you into trouble at times. The reason I know this isn't because I'm spying on you. The reason I know this is because I know me. I'm simply one sinner saved by grace, speaking to a room full of people, sinners saved by grace. And I know I wouldn't volunteer to play for you a recording of the words that I've said this past month. And you probably would not want your words played for everyone to hear that you've spoken this past month either. It's just the way life is. One of the differences between my wife Carrie and myself is uh, I like to be on time everywhere we go. You know, I want to be there one or two minutes ahead of time. My wife can be fashionably late. And this has caused tension in our relationship over the 45 years that we have been married. And, uh, and so most often this, this happens um, when I need to be someplace that I consider important. So I'll stand by the door leading to our garage and I'll call up to her because she's upstairs putting on her makeup typically or getting the, the clothes ready, the last minute clothing changes. Are you ready to go yet? And it's not the tone of voice that says, my dear, lovely bride with whom God has blessed me, your prince is eagerly awaiting your descent down the stairs so that we can enter the chariot together. The tone of voice is, are you ready yet? And that's just one moment in the Lee and family. And yet God considers that seriously enough that even though he still loves me, he recognizes that my words don't ascribe glory to him. His redeeming love wants me, really want, wants us, to assess our words because of how grand and how big and how immense and how lavish his love is for us. So why are words and talking such a, a problem for us? I mean, wh why do we get in trouble so often? Why do all of us look back on some of the conversations that we've had, some of the words we've spoken, and wish we could delete some of those times? There's a passage in the Bible that helps us understand the problem. And it's in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. It's one verse, and it's Jesus speaking. And he says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Christ is teaching us that we live uh, out of our hearts. And we, and we need to understand the meaning of, of heart because the, the Bible uses it in two ways. One way that we're most familiar with is it's the organ that pumps, pumps blood through our system so that we can continue to live. The other way is that it defines, uh, it's a word that defines uh, our will, our soul, our spirit, our mind. It's a summary umbrella term for all those other words. So this, the, the heart is the core of our personhood from a biblical perspective. The heart is our directional wheel. It's our 
It's our spiritual steering wheel. Our behavior, please hear me clearly on this, our behavior isn't caused by the situations and relationships outside of us. Okay, did you hear that? Our behavior isn't caused by the situations and relationships outside of us. Jesus teaches us that our experiences influence but don't determine our behavior. Our behavior is shaped by and caused by how our heart reacts to and interacts with the situations and relationships that are outside of us. So I want you to look again at what, what Jesus said. Let's bring up that, that verse again. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Now let that sink in. Because if we're really being honest with, with ourselves, we don't want to believe that. I mean, have you ever said to, to someone, well, I really didn't mean to say that? Or it was just a Freudian slip? It'd be more biblical to say, please forgive me for saying what was on my heart. Because if it hadn't first been in our heart, it never would have erupted out of our mouths. I've evaluated many of the unwholesome words that, that I've spoken, and it's true that I can't blame any of them on outside experiences or other people. They're words that have been percolating inside me, and sometimes subconsciously, but they've been fermenting in my heart before they were vomited out of my mouth. Word problems are not vocabulary problems. Word problems are not timing problems. Word problems in their most basic understanding are heart problems. Jesus used a, a graphic illustration to, uh, to illustrate this. In Luke 6, 40, verses 43 and 44, he said, A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit, Figs never grow on thorn bushes, nor grapes on bramble bushes. And this is known as the principle of organic consistency. There's an organic consistency between what's in our hearts and then what proceeds from our, our mouths. And I honestly don't like admitting that because I'd rather believe the way that someone else behaved or what someone else said to me set me off. I'd rather say it's because of what's out there. It's because of what that person did and not take responsibility for the decision that I made. But in reality, my excuse is just communication heresy. I remember a, a counselee uh, complaining to me that she, she just couldn't stop herself from fighting back using words. And I, I directed her to, to this verse in, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, which reads, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And she said to me, and I quote, Well, the person who wrote that doesn't have to deal with the people I deal with. 
are you prepared to confess that you are your greatest communication problem? The greatest challenge, difficulty, and danger exists inside of you, not outside of you. People aren't our problem, nor our situations or circumstances. Our problem is our heart. And when we confess that we're infected by a flawed heart, then, after that confession, then we can be transformed by God's unconditional grace and love, and the movement of our heart will be changed. So remember, that this is what, at the core of the battle, this is what the core of the battle is about, the heart. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul wrote this, He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no, no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. Sin distorts our perception and our understanding. It turns, it turns me in on myself. It makes me obsessed with my wants, my needs, my feelings. Sin causes me to love me more than anything else, even more than God, which is totally contrary to ascribing glory to God. Sin morphs me into a caricature whose favorite words are, I want and I expect. It's my nice entitlement attitude. And the reality that confronts us is this. We don't fix our word problems first horizontally. We fix our word problems first vertically. Ascribing glory to God means we're centered on the kingdom of God and it's transforming and redeeming love. And when we're filled with that love, when our heart is overwhelmed with the beauty of that love, there will be worshipful gratitude expressed by ascribing glory to God. When our words begin with encouragement and love and grace and blessing and peace and healing, that's a way to ascribe glory to God because it recognizes that that is not something we would do if we were left to ourselves. It's only by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that we speak out blessing, that we speak out encouragement, that we speak out hope and promise and healing. When you're walking through life, I, I hope at times you ask yourself, how could God love me so much? Because that's when the focus on self begins to change. 1 John 4.19 tells us we love because he first loved us. It all comes from him. So authentic love is fueled by gratitude, and gratitude instinctually looks outward rather than to self. And biblical love that understands that it doesn't get its wants and its needs met with earthly, tangible choices. Those things were, were created Earthly stuff was created to point us to the one who can only, totally, completely, sufficiently satisfy our needs. So life-giving words of love and grace flow out of a heart that's ruled by this kind of love. And remember, we, we always speak out of our heart. So I have three summary words for you. And the first summary word is this. Our words identify us. Our words identify us. 
The verse says a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. You get the picture. It's a pretty simple concept to grasp. A tree is recognized and identified by its fruit. So let me ask you, how would your words and your tone of voice when you speak those words identify you? Would they identify you as an encourager? Would they identify you as someone who's in love with Jesus and with others? Would they identify you as someone who ascribes glory to God? Because whether we like it or not, and whether we realize it or not, when other people hear us speak, that's how they're identifying us. And so if we want to be identified as a follower of Christ, we need to talk like one. The second summary word is this. Our words reveal our heart. And, I, you know, I know I've been spending time on that, but I just, just want to take a moment to reinforce this. If our heart is filled with good, our mouth will reflect that. If it's filled with, if our heart is filled with bad, our heart's going to reflect that as well. It's not rocket science. If we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but we're a liar, then we need to re-examine whether or not we're really in love with Jesus because Jesus did not lie. If we claim to be a follower of Jesus and we spread rumors, then we really need to examine if we're following Jesus because Jesus didn't talk behind someone's back. He didn't spread rumors. If we claim to be a follower of Jesus, but we gossip, we talk with words that don't build up, then we better sit down and have a face-to-face with the Lord because Jesus ultimately encouraged everyone. And if we claim to be a follower of Christ but we choose not to forgive or ask for forgiveness, then we better really have a spiritual assessment going on in our heart because Jesus spoke a lot about forgiveness. And if you're not sure about the appropriateness of the words that you use, um, apply this catchphrase. When in doubt, throw it out. Psalm 141, verse 3. Would you say this verse out loud with me? Take control. Oh, here we go. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. And my third word to you is this. Our words will be judged. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, Jesus says, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And those are really strong words from Jesus, and there's no way way to sugarcoat them. Our words not only have power in this world, but they have power in the next world as well. So words are so important that we're going to have to give an account of whatever we say when we stand before God. Most people think that, you know, oh, God's not really interested in my my casual chatter. They assume, you know, he's got more important things to do. And yet we learn from those verses that not only do our careless words matter, but they're also being recorded for review on the day of judgment. The Lord wants us to measure our words before we speak. He wants us to speak words that evidence his presence in our lives and ascribe glory to him. 
And if we're serious about being a follower of Jesus in, in every area of our life, we need to take our words seriously. How can we be assured of producing life-giving words that have a positive outcome? Well, the only way is to diligently guard our hearts. And Scripture speaks to this as well. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, a very familiar verse to all of us. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of life. A man went to his pastor and, and confessed that recently the Lord had convicted his heart of the careless words that, that he had spoken. And he asked the pastor, you know, what, what should I do? What can I do about this? And the pastor said to him, what I want you to do is go to a top, the top of a mountain and I want you to take a feather pillow with you. And when you get to the top of that mountain, I want you to tear it open and scatter the feathers to the wind. And then come back the next day and see me. So the man got this feather pillow. He went to the top of the mountain. He stood at the top of the mountain. He tore open that feather pillow. And he scattered the feathers to the wind and the next day he shows up at his pastor's office and he said, okay, I did what you told me to do. Now what should I do? And the pastor said, I want you to go back to the top of that mountain. I want you to collect all those feathers. And the man obviously responded, that's impossible. There's no way I can do that. The wind has scattered them everywhere. pastor said that's the point that's the point once you speak careless words the words scatter to the wind and you can never pull them back you don't know where they're going to go you don't know where they're going to land you don't know who they're going to hurt Jesus can transform our hearts so that our words can truly be their best. Honest, gentle, calm, appropriate for the situation and the circumstance. And ascribe glory to God. Let's say together Psalm 19, verse 4. 14. Join your voices with my voice. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our words, our relationships, our choices, and our desires must all be shaped by a genuine delight in ascribing glory to God in all things with every word. And this is my last word, at least for today. The struggle of words is a struggle of kingdoms. Struggle of kingdoms. It's a struggle between the kingdom of self, what do I want, and the kingdom of God, what does he want? The kingdom that rules our heart 
will determine our words. But there is grace in this struggle. Glorious, powerful, enabling, forgiving, and delivering grace through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So my encouragement for you is this. For you to pray that God's grace will inhabit your words so that you might speak as he intended. And in so doing, in every situation, every circumstance, every relationship, even your self-talk, what you say to yourself, you will ascribe glory to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how thankful we are that your word provides us with conviction and comfort, with leading and direction, with hope and promise. How thankful you are that your Holy Spirit moves powerfully even in spite of us. And I pray, Lord God, that you will continue to mold us and shape us and conform us to your image in every arena of life, our words, our behavior, our thoughts, our attitudes, so that when the world sees us, when the world hears us, when the world interacts with us and engages with us, they will see Jesus and experience the grace and the love of our Lord and our God, our Savior and our King, the lover of our souls. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.